Welcome to Advancing the Agenda. I'm your host, Michael Abramson, and today's topic is the U.S. Senate race in Georgia. We're lucky to have a special guest today, Calvin King, who is a Republican candidate for Senate here in Georgia. Calvin King was born in Macon, Georgia, and raised in Mableton, Georgia. He spent most of his childhood in a single-parent home, and they oftentimes struggled to make ends meet. Though he became man of the family early, his mother and grandmother worked hard to instill in him the values needed to grow into a successful young adult. It was these values he credits with earning him an appointment to the United States Air Force Academy, where he was an all-conference football player. Kelvin graduated from the academy and served five years in the U.S. Air Force as a contracting officer. He made the rank of captain before deciding to leave the military and transition to corporate America. Upon completion of his service, he returned to Georgia to begin building his life as a civilian. Kelvin worked in procurement and business development and eventually became the general manager of an international construction firm where he achieved numerous honors, including being named the top 20 under 40 in ENR magazine and manager of the year in his company. After several years in this role, he decided to save enough money to start his own construction firm, Osprey Management. Kelvin's firm has twice been named the fastest growing business by the Atlanta Business Chronicle. Kelvin is married to Janelle, and the two of them have been entrenched in Georgia politics as leading conservative activists and are passionate about spreading the Republican message throughout the minority community. They founded Speak Georgia, a 501c3 organization designed to educate and provide resources to the community directly from subject matter, matter experts. Kelvin is also the proud father of a fellow Air Force alum, Christian Ward. Kelvin, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me today. So the interview will be divided into two sections. In the first section, I'm going to ask questions that I will be asking of all Senate candidates that I interview. In the second question, I'm going to ask about topics from your background that I think listeners will enjoy. And with that, I want to ask our first question, Calvin, why did you decide to run for Senate? Well, my wife and I, we were involved with our prior senators' races. You know, my wife has been involved with the Republican Party for over 10 years, and uh, I have been involved with the party more so from the outside or contributing to, to candidates and that sort of thing. And uh, my wife and I were on the uh, David Perdue, Senator David Perdue's steering committee. Uh, my wife was on Kelly Leffler's campaign as a co-chair. So we've seen this Raphael Warnock-Leffler race from the inside. We put on events for her, that sort of thing. So we knew... Uh, what it would take to win. We know his strategies and his tactics. So um, she and I, we decided to figure out who are we going to get behind. And uh, we didn't see anybody that we thought was prepared or capable of winning this race because we knew the strategies and we know the environment that that we'll be in today. And uh, what we did was we decided to use an old business tactic, a business process called whiteboarding. So we wanted to write down all the attributes that we thought it would take to win this race to defeat Raphael Warnock. And the attributes were that we thought that the winning candidate needed to be from Georgia. They needed to be a business person uh, or someone with a high degree of business acumen. They needed to be a, a military veteran. Uh, they needed to know the rural and urban sides of the community. Uh, Georgia has, you know, they say there's two Georgias, urban and rural. 
that candidate need to be able to pull both together and also be able to pull votes from the middle or even take some from the Democratic Party, from, from some disenchanted Democratic voters. That's what it would take to win this race. And we thought that a black male made sense in this environment and not because of identity politics, of course, but uh, because we know that the Democratic Party and Raphael Warnock is well-funded. Uh, he has the media on his side and he runs on being the symbolic first black senator. So he's going to use that tactic. So if there's a way to disarm that tactic that we know they're going to use, that would be ideal for our side to win. So we you know, we looked around and we didn't really see who uh, had those attributes. And, and uh, you know, my wife said, my wife said, well, Kelvin, you, you, you have these attributes. Uh, is it something that you know, you would like to do. So we prayed about it. Uh, we asked the Lord to you know, open the doors. We thought we had a good idea, ha- had a good you know, uh, process, a, a good formula. Uh, we asked the Lord to open the doors if it's the right thing to do, because sometimes, you know, we have great ideas, but if it's not the Lord's will, it, it, it's not going to work out. And we talked to our staff at, at, at Osprey and, you know, everyone decided to give us a thumbs up because uh, I'd be leaving the company uh, pretty much for, for, from day-to-day operations. And we talked to our family, our family, uh, you know, we, we, we know this is a race just with me, but nowadays uh, these, the, these tactics that's used in politics, you know, all the family is pretty much targets as well. So we got the thumbs up from our family. And uh, once we got all of those, we felt comfortable and we decided to do it. Well, that's great. So what, what do you feel are your, your qualifications and greatest strengths? Well, um, I'm actually, like you said, I'm born and raised in Georgia and I, and I came up through a, a difficult process. My mom was only 15 years old um, when, she, when she had me. Uh, I clearly was unplanned. Um, but like I always say, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. We may do things out of order from time to time here, but God doesn't make mistakes. And I just thank my mom and my father and my grandparents that they saw value in my life. And, you know, my mom was only in high school, but you know, they tried to do the right thing. And they eventually married and uh, moved up to Georgia, uh, moved from Macon to Mableton. And a few years after that, the wheels fell off the wagon. My father st- started doing drugs and there was domestic violence in the house and he abandoned the family. And you know, it was tough. It was tough. My grandmother, my grandmother ch- um, chimed in or, you know, she retired early from Robbins Air Force Base to help the kids out, help the kids up in Atlanta. And I was able to stay focused, graduated high school with honors. I got an appointment to the academy. My life changed after that. And, um, you know, that that story is, I think, a true American dream story. Mm-hmm. And that is relatable to a lot of people. I think it can inspire people. And, you know, if we keep America the way it is in terms of opportunity and freedom and American exceptionalism, this opportunity opportunity can be available for, for anyone. So that's what really motivates me. And I think that's what is my greatest strength and my greatest qualifications. On our 159 county tour uh, that we completed, uh, we actually visited every county in the state of Georgia in 29 days. Now, when we made these visits, we visited with small businesses, like I mentioned earlier. These small businesses, they allowed us to intermingle with their client base and their customers. So we were able to talk to thousands of people, thousands of Georgians, and get a sense as to what their concerns are, uh, what their challenges are, and what their what their needs and wants are from their U.S. senator. And you know, this effort, yeah, it was it was very taxing to be to be frank with you, but it was just 
just just life changing because what it allowed us to do was to, to, to overcome our physical challenges and our mental challenges. Of course, we had to wake up every day and have this right kind of energy, but we also had to make sure we focused on maintaining my voice, making sure that I stayed on message. This ended up being about six stops a day for 29 straight days. You've talked about it. You talk about a challenge. You talk about being accessible. That's the type of senator I want people to see that I will be in that and what kind of candidate I am. I want to be the most accessible candidate and I will be the most accessible senator in our U.S. Senate. And that that's what the people of Georgia deserve. And I imagine you'll be doing more and more stops, more and more tours as the as the campaign continues. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're not stopping at all. Uh, we, we've done over 255 public appearances or speaking engagements. We had one last night up in Pickens County that went very well. And we have one tonight over in Tolliver County. So uh, some counties we've hit nine times and every county we've hit once at least. So I think that is going to be something that the people of Georgia will 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 appreciate. And it's definitely, definitely going to differentiate us from any candidate in this race. Can you speak with me before we get to the specific questions? Can you speak with me about, about your, uh, your eventual opponent, Senator Raphael Warnock, and, and his performance and record? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Senator Warnock, he, uh, he is uh, running on being the first black senator out of Georgia, the, you know, the symbolic first black senator. Uh, I personally don't think uh, that he represents Georgia well. I don't think he represents the true grit of what Georgia is all about. Uh, he's a, a big spender. He he supports um, all this spending that's coming out of the administration. Uh, he is a pastor, but he advocates for abortions, which I think is incongruent. Um, I don't think that's in line with the word or scripture. He also pushes divisive bills. Uh, he pushed for a $4 billion carve out. For, to relieve loans for black farmers, which was eventually halted by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And, and, that, you know, and, that, and that bill was was specifically for for black farmers as opposed to other farmers. Correct. 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 Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's just not right. That's divisive. Um, uh, and, you know, more recently, uh, he's been pushing uh, voting rights reform or vo- voting reform uh, from a federal level. Uh, there, there. He's pushing an HR one and HR four. Uh, these two bills essentially takes the uh, the ability for states to determine and manage their own elections and put it in the hands of uh, Congress or the D, uh, the DOJ, which I don't think that is in line with what the founders of our country uh, wanted. I think they, I thought they wanted uh, a government of the people and for the people and by the people, and that's not really in line with the Constitution. So, yeah, I don't think Raphael Warnock is a great example of a representative from Georgia that's representing all of the Georgians. And a lot of people agree with me on that. And I look forward to debating Raphael Warnock man to man on these issues. And so Georgians can see who's the best candidate uh, to represent them in, in our Senate. I, I would definitely watch. I'll tell you that. So now I want to sort of cover some pis- your positions on various issues. And the way we'll do it is that I'll just give you a general topic, and it would be great if you could sort of discuss the importance of the topic and what your plans are to address it. So the questions are deliberately open-ended, so you can touch on areas that that you think are important. And the first would be America's economy. Um, Sort of how is the economy doing? And we'd love to hear your thoughts on both inflation, which we got a terrible report about today, as well as the uh, supply chain crisis. Yeah, I think the report came out that we had hit uh, 7% inflation. And 
you know, that's pretty insane. That's the highest rate of inflation that we've had in, I believe, 40 years. But it's not surprising. Uh, Anytime you uh, create dollars, you know, print dollars from our from our government to stimulate our economy is going to create an inflationary uh, inflationary period. And uh, what's really upsetting is that their administration has been calling it a transitory inflation stage. And we all know that it's not transitory. We know that this is this is here to stay for a while. There's roots. Um, there's no end in this spending. They're still trying to spend more money with this Build Back Better plan. So cre- creating a a government that spends, uh, that where the spending is under control is going to be job number one for a U.S. senator. Uh, I feel as if I'm a great candidate when it comes to that. I created my own company from scratch. Uh, I, I I grew my company from my bedroom to my basement and now on a building over near the, near the Braves Stadium. I've also toured every county in the state of Georgia, meeting with small businesses throughout the state, over 155 small businesses. And the feedback that I got was that, uh, first of all, you know, people don't feel as if their voices can be heard because of this council culture. But secondly, uh, with the government paying uh, workers more money to stay home under the the flag of uh, you know the coronavirus scare is putting our small businesses at risk. Many of them have gone out of business and we see it happening all around our country right now. And the, the, the next thing that businesses concerned were, were concerned about was that this supply chain crisis that's in place right now. Uh, we see it in our grocery stores and our businesses see it when, when it comes to uh, equipment and, and materials, supplies. And it's, it's, it's unfortunate because it was a government initiated crisis. Yeah, we know coronavirus came and we had to respond to it, but I believe we over responded. We kept things locked down too long. And when you do that, you are forced to They'll put artificial stimulus into the economy, which happened, and now it's going to create an inflationary period. And that's just bad business. And we need better business-minded people in these seats in, the U- in our U.S. Senate. We don't have a U.S. senator right now out of Georgia that has business experience. That's a, that's a shame. I'm going to change that. I know business. I know supply chain. My job in the Air Force was a contracting officer. That is a part. A, a contracting officer is procurement. Procurement is a uh, uh a stage in the supply chain. Procurement is part of the supply chain. And I know government spending. I know how to reduce government spending because that's what I did for a living when I was in the Air Force. There's This type of experience is uh, unique, I think, and it's something that uh, the people in Georgia can get out of me. And I'm looking forward to doing the best I can to, to bring some sense into uh, our U.S. Uh, Senate and bring some sense into our U.S. policies, specifically when it comes to our economy. All right, great. And so we'll continue sort of from the economy to an adjacent issue, which is which is taxes. Uh, what's your opinion on both the individual tax rate and the corporate tax rate? Uh, well, w- our tax cut uh, and jobs act that was passed, I believe it was in uh, 17, 2017. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think uh, that's right. Under, under President Trump. I think it was a huge boom for our economy and for the individual because it, it, it lowered everyone's tax rate. And I know for a fact because uh, my employees, each one of my employees got more in their take-home pay after the tax cut than they had prior to the tax cut. So we know it benefit, benefited the individual. And anytime you could, you could uh, you know, stimulate the individual, not by artificial printed dollars, but by uh, generated dollars throughout the, comp- throughout the, you know, the, the, the company, 
or reduce their burden tax-wise, it's going to stimulate the economy. So smart, I always say we had we smart tax policy. Uh, and to take one step further, our corporate tax rate, I really want to make sure that that remains competitive. Uh, you know, a lot of companies came back to America once once our tax rate was reduced. And that's the type of policy that I'm I'm all for. I think that's an America first type of policy. And, you know, to, if, if you want me to stretch it a little bit, I mean, I even support a consumption-based tax. I mean, I, I would like to get more creative when it comes to tax policy. So uh, those are th- those, that's where I stand when it comes to tax policy. Uh, I'm, I'm very supportive of reducing the size of our government. I, I know that our government operates through tax dollars, through people's dollars, and I want it to be uh, smart spending of it. I want us to be responsible for the taxpayers' dollars. I think that was a very interesting distinction that you brought up about getting money into the hands of people, whether it's from the government giving the money or if it's the government cutting taxes and letting people keep more of their own money. That's a really important distinction that I wish would be more discussed more often. Yes, definitely. If you if you stimulate people by printing dollars, it's going to hurt the broad economy. But if you reduce people's burden, it will stimulate the economy. And it's their money. It's the people's money. money. Exactly. The government doesn't create money. They take it from us. That's right. Well, we'll transition from taxes to another government program in a way, um, COVID-19 and the coronavirus. Um, Just sort of if you could you could talk about it and then really touch on both the mask mandate and a vaccine mandate. Well, let me start by saying I'm against any kind of mandates. Uh, I believe that it's unconstitutional and it's an infringement on our our, on our freedoms. Uh, I, I believe that any sort of mandate or vaccination passport or control moves us t- closer to a totalitarian uh, type of environment and not uh, a true freedom environment. And, you know, freedom, freedom is uh, it, it's self-responsibility, but it does come with a degree of risk. But I think that it's worth it. And, yeah, I, I was a fan of um, Operation Warp Speed to get a vaccine in place for folks to use, for people to use to protect themselves and their families. I was a huge fan of that, but more so that it's an option for people to use. I think that the individual is responsible for their own health, just like the individual is responsible for their own life. That's what freedom is all about. So when it comes to vaccine mandates, I would never support that. But when it comes to having a vaccine available, I definitely support that. Mass mandates, no, never support that. And, you know, a lot of people, particularly in the Black community, they distrust any sort of governmental uh, vaccine uh, processes or, or putting a, a, a man-made uh, chemical inside their bodies because of the history of some of the tests and such, particularly in Tuskegee. So there's distrust in the government first. But secondly, you know, a lot of the people that are getting sick from coronavirus it's or dying from coronavirus is due to comorbidities. Uh, I'm not saying that, I mean, I, I don't want to sound dispassionate, but we really need to focus on what really causes the, 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 the really um, bad types of outcomes when people catch coronavirus. My wife and I, we both caught coronavirus and I had very mild symptoms and she had none at all. And now we got, t- we got tested for the antibodies. And from what I understand, there's, there's, there's research on that the antibodies are just as effective, if not more effective than uh, some of the man-made vaccines. So I have a very open uh, perspective when it comes to um, how we manage the, 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 the pandemic, but 
I never want to infringe upon our rights or our freedoms or our liberties. Uh, I think that the people of, of, of America are competent and responsible enough to uh, take care of their own their own health. Uh, let me give you an example. In, in my company, I wanted to make sure that my employees were safe. So what I did was I, I installed a, a pretty expensive air filtration system because I wanted the people in my company to be safe and comfortable and, and have confidence that uh, they can come to work and leave in the same condition that they showed up in. So those are the types of things that businesses can do. And I, and I know that the people of America will do the same for themselves. That's great. And it's great that you had the, I mean, obviously you're, you're well-read and you understand the importance of the ventilation system. It's, it's unfortunate that the government maybe didn't talk about those solutions enough. Uh, it is unfortunate. And that's why we need people in these seats. We need a U.S. Senator that understands these issues and is willing to speak forcefully about them and that has experience on them. Pretty much everything I'm saying today is going to be based on some real world experience or real world application. Right. Well, we're going to shift gears to, to crime in America and Atlanta or crime in the we're going to shift gears to crime in America, especially crime in Georgia, rising crime in Atlanta. Obviously, as a as a senator, it's somewhat limited to what you can you can call for because it's it's more of a local issue. But your opinions on on crime and and what you would do as a senator? Well, I think uh, safety and protecting our citizens is job number one for any governmental represent representative, from state government to federal government. And I believe that we've been derelict in our duties to protect our our citizens. And I think it's more so a local issue. I think a lot of the state and local governments are pushing these false, uh, uh, defective narratives about defunding the police, which created a a environment of uh, lawlessness in our cities. I mean, we in Georgia we have two cities that I think to uh, Macon and Atlanta they hit record high homicides. That is a shame and. I think it's a shame. I think it's awful for uh, for our citizens to, to deal with that. But it's all policy based again. Anytime you push defunding the police, you increase lawlessness. And I think it's a backdoor way of limiting our weapons. To be frank, I think it's a backdoor way to attack our Second Amendment. I believe that once you see increased crime, increased homicides, then these Democratic politicians will start pushing, hey, these homicides are caused by guns. Let's limit guns and weapons in our cities, which is going to increase uh, violent crimes even more. Uh, there's nothing more safe than, 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 than someone walking around with their own protection in their hands. I tell my wife all the time, <laughs> I say that, you know, the, the, the police, they, they're not going to get here for you know, seven to, to 12 minutes. For, during those seven to 12 minutes, I want to make sure that we can protect ourselves. So we have weapons uh, on every floor of our home. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as a as a military member, I'm I'm sure you're very well trained. Well, yeah, in the Air Force, we all have to take uh, uh, um, training, armed training. Uh, even though I was a procurement officer, I still had to take armed training. And you know, let, let, let's talk about uh, just our overall law enforcement. You know, these types of uh, rules, of, you know, defunding the police, they're putting our law, law enforcement in, at undue risk as well. They they don't like this whole idea of uh, defunding the police or reimagining the police as they call it now. And you know, we need to really focus on what is really important. Is the safety of our citizens important or is pushing a narrative important? I would say the safety of our citizens trumps all. Exactly, exactly. But to, let's stick sort of in the, with the social issues and go to, go to education. Um, education is priority 
I, I, for everyone. Um, what would you do to, to help to help education in this country? And what do you think of the teaching of critical race theory? I think what we've seen uh, from this pandemic uh, by allowing our parents to really see what the curriculum is in our schools and what their what, what their what their children are being taught, I think that's I think that's awakened a lot of the parents in in our country. But I also think it tells us that centralizing education is not the answer. We need to do the opposite of that. We need to decentralize education. We need to get parents back involved in our students' education and in, in their lives. And you know. The, the the Zoom teaching and the at home virtual teaching has allowed us to be able to do that. I I really don't see the value of our Department of Education, um, especially considering that our states have so much influence on how and what our our children are taught. And uh, CRT is just another tool to uh, create a a control over our education system. CRT critical race theory is really from a Marxist uh, background from the Frankfurt School, which is critical theory. And, you know, in America, uh, race is very, very uh, uh, effective. You know, you can have critical religious theory, critical class theory, critical legal theory. Uh, but in America, race is, 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 is certainly a, 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 a hot button issue. So critical race theory is what resonates here in America. And it's unfortunate that the Democratic uh, party has used this as a as a uh, as a weapon. Um, even in my school, the U.S. Air Force Academy, we have CRT that's being taught by one of our political political science instructors, and I think it's uh, definitely divisive. I don't think it needs to be taught. I think it's a higher uh, a higher education type of a, of a theory, and I don't think it has real true application in in our in our society. Uh, it teaches oppressed versus the oppressor, meaning the, the 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 fundamental structures of, of institutions or, or 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 countries is based in a us versus them type of uh, uh, scenario, and I don't think that's true. I don't think that's America at all. So I think it teaches lies, and it has no place. And our military, our military is about good order and discipline and unit cohesion. It's not about dis, uh, uh, divisiveness. It's about a lot of different backgrounds and ethnicities coming together to conform to the military standard. And anything outside of that is going to weaken our military. And I think that's what critical race theory does. It, it has no place in our schools. It has no place in our military. And I don't think it has any place in our country. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and, and build on that military experience and come to two foreign policy issues. And the first is immigration and the border. I uh, wanted to hear your opinions on, on illegal immigration or legal and illegal immigration and what you think about the, the wall on the southern border. Uh, well, let me first by say, start by saying I do not support illegal immigration at all. Uh, I'm not a supporter of amnesty, uh, but I am a supporter of controlling our borders and I am a supporter of legal immigration. Uh, we had a uh, I have an employee in my company that gained his citizenship legally. It took him several years, about nine years. And you know, it was a great moment for he, for he and his wife. And we threw him a party. And that's the way you do it. And he doesn't want people jumping the line. He doesn't support illegal immigration. I think it's insane to, to allow uh, this, crisis at the, this crisis at the border. We, we, we're not even tracking these people coming in. And it's just flooding our, our, our country. It's creating health care crisis. It's, it's creating uh, uh, economic crisis and and it's creating a security crisis. 
So I am a fan of the wall so much so, <laughs> so much so that, you know, I have a construction company and a few years ago, we actually bid, we bid on building the border wall. We didn't win wow. it. But, we didn't win it, but we bid, we did bid on it. So I do know the process and uh, I do know the business behind it. And I think it's a travesty what's going on at our border. I think it all lies in the lap of uh, President Biden. And um, it's, it's, it's just creating such a difficult time in our country because if you don't have secure borders, if you don't know who's coming in and out of our country, you don't have a country. And it's a shame. And we need senators that's strong enough to stand up and say no and, and, and push policy that secures our borders and increases the ability for legal immigration and eliminates illegal immigration altogether. Right, right. That's interesting that you guys built, that you guys bid on the wall project. That must have been uh, pretty interesting. Yeah, um, it, it was pretty cool. I, we we didn't we didn't win, but uh, we we did attempt, and um, I, I I wish I'd have won. I would have done a great job out there. And it's unfortunate because our tax dollars are going towards paying for materials that are laying out and uh, on the ground for months and months and months. Because Biden, one of his first moves was to halt the uh, progress on our border walls, and that was a a waste of tax dollars as well. Just so unfortunate. It's it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable to see the pictures of this. Perfectly good equipment, just just sitting sitting on the ground. Yeah, it's just it's just insane. Well, our, our last topic is going to be that of foreign policy, uh, specifically if you could talk about the Afghanistan withdrawal um, and then maybe China and Russia as well. Yeah, sure. I think we all know what happened. Oh, we all know that there was a debacle in Afghanistan, and and uh, I, you know, like I said earlier, uh, our role as representatives is first to defend and protect our country. And I don't think President Biden lived up to uh, to to his charge. I believe that we're less safe. I believe that the events of Afghanistan shows how disconnected our military is with our administration. Uh, I believe that the communication lines between uh, General Milley and General Austin, uh, you know, Secretary Austin and 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 President Biden, uh, I, I believe it was it was a uh, uh, faulty and I do want to have some investigations on what really transpired. What was direction? What were, what were the, uh, uh, the, 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 the missions that were administered to our leaders and how did they put those missions into place? Uh, I really, regardless of if you think we should have uh, stayed or left Afghanistan, I don't think we should have given up our presence at Bagram airfield. I think it's a, strategic location for our operations in that part of the world. And it was just a, a utter failure with the loss of at least 13 American lives. And we still don't know how many Americans are still in Afghanistan. It's a shame. And um, I put it in the, in, in the lap of Joe Biden. And what's, you, what, what's interesting is that even though this was a, 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 a massive screw up, uh, and, and even though Senator Warnock is not in the executive branch. He's in the legislative body, who meaning he represents us. And most people in Georgia, uh, we were incensed on what happened over in Afghanistan. He did not speak up to support and protect the citizens that he's supposed to represent. To me, that was an abject failure, and he doesn't deserve the seat uh, of, of uh, U.S. Senator, rep Senator representing the state of Georgia. Uh, I think it shows weak leadership, and you know we've got to make a change. Uh, I mean, do we know how many citizens are out there now? I think the answer is no. And all the while, we see China 
growing in their global influence. Uh, China has been doing joint exercises with Russia. Uh, right now, uh, I don't know if you're aware, but you know, uh, China, uh, Kazakhstan is 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 in the middle, is between you know uh, Russia and <clears throat> and, and uh, China, and that is a a country right now that is is being. Uh, I guess, rape, so to speak, because of their natural resources. We also see uh, Russia becoming extremely aggressive with Ukraine. Uh, and, you know, that puts our European allies as well as us in an in a, in a, in a interesting situation. And then you see the situation with Taiwan, with China getting very aggressive with Taiwan. That puts us also in a, in a unique uh, position. We've got to be smarter about how we portray our strength on a world stage. China has a long view. Uh, you know, they, they are the second largest debt holder uh, in America behind Japan. Uh, they own land. They, own, they, they have stakes in our companies. Uh, and I believe that we are in a position, I think President Trump did a good job of uh, pulling up the veil and allowing us to see uh, how much influence China has over our, our economy and, and our defense. And I think we need to be very careful uh, about how we unwind uh, our our relationship or our strategic relationship with China. And because I think it needs to be unwound. We need to be able to operate in a way where we're independent, where we can put pressure on China because they have the long view. They've been doing this for decades. They want to make sure that they have global influence and global power. Look at the Belt and Roads Initiative. They've been doing this for decades where they, where they, where they have these uh, uh, agreements with I think over 70 countries right now where they are investing in these countries by building up their infrastructure with these and they give loans to the countries. And if the countries can't pay these loan back, loans back now, country is, I mean, uh, China essentially controls the, the operations and the economy of that country. That's a strategy that they've been deploying for several years. And we, we need people that are aware, that's smart on these issues that can call it out. I'm very concerned that we are, especially the Biden administration, we're allowing China to just operate unchecked. Yeah. And of course, we have, you know, there's so many aspects of, of the country that's entwined with China. You know, we have the economy, we have, we have so many things made over in China, including pharmaceuticals, that they just, they have a lot of influence. I, I, I venture to say that there's probably not a single American who hasn't bought a product that wasn't made in China. Exactly. And, uh, you know, that that's the type of influence we want to have globally. We want there to be not a single person in the globe that hadn't you know, purchased an item that was made and manufactured in America. And, you know, that's 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 something that we need to be aware of and we need to pay attention to. Uh, we we see that our military was 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 kind of caught off guard, to be frank with you, Michael, when it came to uh, the deployment of this hypersonic missile. This missile is a delivery vehicle for, uh, well, it can be a delivery vehicle for a nuclear weapon. And this thing can move outside of our uh, our radar and our defense system. And we weren't aware of it. And we weren't aware that, well, we were aware of it, but we weren't aware how close they were to um, a successful uh, 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 use of it. So our, our generals were, were caught off guard. And now we're doubling down our efforts to improve our nuclear arsenal and our delivery arsenal. And you know, that's just not what we need to be. That's not America. We need to be focused on making sure that our technology is first in the world and our military defense and our deployment systems are first in the world. 
I will be a senator that focuses on our defense and our military um, readiness. Great. I think this is a the perfect spot to end our first section. Um, the, I want to move to the second section, which is sort of topics, <laughs> topics specific, uh, specific to you that I found interesting. And the first would be uh, your relationship with President Trump. I watched the video on your website, which which I thought was very well done, by the way, um, of you and Janelle speaking at a Trump event. And just, you know, we'd love to hear, hear uh, your description of it. Sure. Yeah, we uh, we we've been huge supporters of the president in the past. Uh, and I mean, I'd like to say I voted for him four times. I voted for him in 2016 in the primary in general and voted for him in the primary in general in 2020. So uh, we've shown that we're very supportive. Uh, I've spoken on stage with him twice. My wife has spoken on stage with him twice. Uh, we've done a commercial in, two, in 2020 uh, that, that ran across the country uh, supporting his policies. And, you know, we've been a, a huge advocate of Pre- President Trump's policies. So, yeah, we, we, we've been an American first supporter and a, uh, a President Trump supporter from that respect. Um, however, you know, this year is a unique year. It's a different year. Uh, I'm, I'm now in the game, so to, so to speak. Uh, I am a U.S. Senate candidate and, you know, President Trump has endorsed uh, my opponent, Herschel Walker. So, you know, from that respect, you know, I feel as if I'm now uh, able to really, to really campaign and, 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 you know, share with Americans what needs to be said. Uh, President Trump, he, uh, he's, he's getting involved with our state. I don't think that he's making the right moves in Georgia, to be frank. Uh, I don't think he understands this race with Raphael Warnock. I don't think he understands the influence that Raphael Warnock has across the state. And, um, you know, by, by pushing a candidate that, in my opinion, isn't uh, prepared or qualified to stand toe-to-toe with the Raphael Warnock and the Democratic machine, uh, I think that's going to do us a disservice, to be frank with you. So that's that's actually energized me in my campaign. Uh, my wife is excited also because because now we're able to really show Georgians the the comparison and contrast between uh, my candidacy and my opponent's candidacy. Uh, and, and to be frank with you, if we put a candidate in front of Raphael Warnock that can be dismantled, that has flaws. Uh, they're going to lose. They're going to be exposed. And if a candidate can't speak on the issues, being you know, be it foreign policy, be it the economic defense issues, or or really the social issues, we're going to lose. So we need to make sure that the candidate that we put in front of Raphael Warnock is solid on all of these topics. That does not have a whole lot of baggage that can be exploited. Uh, that would put our seat or our chances of winning the seat in, in jeopardy. So I know I just gave you a lot to think about and to chew on, but that's that's how we see this race. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, we are very supportive of President Trump's policies. I think he did a great, tremendous job. I don't think any, anyone would disagree. But, you know, the decision here in Georgia is a unique decision. And, uh, you know, our candidacy is definitely the strongest candidacy that can actually win the seat back from Raphael Warnock. Well, it still must have been a, been a thrill to be on stage with him in those rallies. Oh, 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 it was a great time. I mean, the energy was high. Uh, you know, some 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 media outlets may 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 try to downplay the number of attendees or the energy that's in the room. Uh, and it and, and it is not true. Those are lies. The the energy in the room was always was high. Uh attendees were the attendees were always high. There's always long lines. And it was and it was exciting. I think uh President Trump knows marketing and branding very well. He's an expert at it. And he's able to get his point across in a way 
where you know a variety of people can understand it and get behind it. And, you know that's a unique skill, right. and I think that I think that he benefited from it. And the 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 we'll switch topics to to voting rights. Um, President Biden and Vice President Harris were in, were in Atlanta yesterday talking about voting rights, and I uh, just want to give you the opportunity to respond. Yeah, thank you. I would love to make a comment about this. Um, I actually uh, posted an op-ed about this very topic uh, two days ago, uh, the day before they before President Biden and Vice President um, Harris showed up. And and so, where can we find this op-ed? Yeah, you can actually go to uh, our website. It's at kelvinking.com slash news. That's K-E-L-V-I-N-K-I-N-G dot com slash news. Um, I mean, I, I have a pretty um, eye-opening title. Uh, the title is, What Shall We Do With the Negro? Um, it's, it's a play off of a question that was asked of Frederick Douglass at the conclusion of slavery. Um, he was asked, what shall we do with the Negro? And essentially, to, to sum it up, Frederick Douglass said, well, do nothing with us. Do nothing with the Negro. Allow us to stand on our own two feet and be Americans just like every single person in our country. And I still believe that that rings true today. What we saw from President Biden and Vice President Harris and uh, Se- uh, Senator Warnock, they were three uh, Democratic representatives speaking in sync uh, about federalizing our U.S. elections. And I think most Americans would disagree um, and not support the federal takeover or overreach of our election process. And you know what's, 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 what's really interesting about it is why are they trying to do it? There's really no good reason why we should push federalizing our elections. They say that there's voter suppression, but at the same time, there were more people who voted in our elections. I know in Georgia for sure uh, in 2020 than the prior election cycle. Uh, I think that Stacey Abrams, I think that her rhetoric is divisive, but to be frank, her fair fight uh, Georgia uh, organization did register a lot of people and there were more people who voted in 2020 than the prior election. So in my opinion, her efforts worked. So why are we pushing for federal takeover elections and pushing this false narrative about election uh, suppression or voter suppression? It's, it's, it's all a ruse. And I think it's unfortunate. I think people need to see really what's happening and, and, and expose what the Democratic administration and, and the Democratic Party, what they're trying to do. Uh, there's no suppression in Georgia. If there was suppression in Georgia, our voting numbers would not have gone up at the rate that they went up. In fact, I'm concerned that there may be some voting integrity issues. So I really want there to be voting security. Uh, I think that every American would agree that we want access to the ballot. We have access to the ballot, but more so we want our votes to be secure. We want, we don't want funny business happening at the, at, at the ballot box. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great article. I encourage, encourage everybody to read it. Um, Kelvin, you know, it's been great having you on the show. If you could just tell us uh, how we can get involved with your campaign. Yeah, sure, uh, Michael. Please go to kelvinking.com. That's our website, and you can access all of our social media platforms there. We'd love for you to just peruse the site, volunteer, donate. Uh, We have a really strong campaign with a great message. 
The theme of our campaign is protecting and preserving the American dream for our future generations. And uh, it's important because it's definitely under attack. The American dream is under attack. I'm a great representation of the American dream. And I want to make sure that we all can have that same opportunity that I had uh, going forward. And what we see out of our our uh, Biden administration is the opposite. They're restraining the American dream. And we need to make sure we focus on three platform items. One, creating a strong economy. Two, making sure that our national defense is a priority. And three, that our constitutional rights are protected. Because the American dream is comprised of freedom and opportunity and American exceptionalism, like I mentioned earlier. So please support our campaign. Go to our site and uh, let's win this thing for America. Well, and I'll be putting that website link in the podcast description. And thank you again. And I look forward to speaking with you next time on Advancing the Agenda.